I'm Emily. And, and we're the Sirens. Today we are talking about the 1961 movie Paris Blues, which stars Sidney Poitier, Paul Newman, Joanne Woodward, Louis Armstrong makes an appearance, as well as several other people. Diane Carroll is in it. There's a lot of fantastic artists of various kinds in this movie. It's like the best gang ever. Yes. Starring in a film. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Plus, there's music. Yes. So it's a. So it's made in 1961. Sidney Poitier plays an expatriate jazz saxophonist named Eddie Cook, and Paul Newman is also an expatriate um, trombone playing man named Ram Bowen. They meet and romance two vacationing American tourists who are played by Joanne Woodward and Diane Carroll. There are some pretty overt references to differences in race relations in France in the United States, and the book, uh, or the movie, is based on a 1957 novel um, of the same name, Paris Blues, that was written by um, Harold Flender, and like I said, Louis Armstrong is in this movie playing a character named Wild Man Moore, and there's the jazz pianist um, Aaron Bridgers um, also appears. The movie was directed by Martin Ritt, and the cinematography was done by Christian Mattress. I'll say mattress. Mattress. (laughs) The setup happens and then romance ensues. Well, as I was watching this too, because I picked this one, but neither of us have ever seen it. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, geez, I don't know if Hillary likes jazz that much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, I hope Hill likes jazz. (laughs) Because it's really, like, half of the movie is just music. Yeah, well, and it's interesting to have seen this movie after we watched um, An American in Paris, because I feel like they were similar in that they took place in Paris and they had a lot of um, like music in them that's more music than plot in some ways. And, and I feel like it was, a, it was better done in this movie yeah. than American in Paris. Well, it made more sense because the main characters were jazz musicians as opposed to being an artist who just randomly broke into a song and tap dance. <laughs> Do you have any um, trivia about this movie? I didn't find a lot, which I was surprised by, considering all the cameos there are by musicians. The movie talks about race relations a fair bit. And the novel it was based on and the first draft of the screenplay were primarily actually about interracial romance. Mm -hmm. Um, But United Artists demanded that that be changed because they thought the American public wasn't ready to see that. And I was surprised in the beginning of the movie that when Paul Newman's, like, really going after Connie, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, not that that's startling, but I was like, I wonder if this was that common at that time to see that in the movies. So years after the release, Sidney Poitier said, Cold Feet maneuvered to have it twisted around, lining up the colored guy with the colored girl, and said that United Artists had chickened out and took the spark out of it. Yeah. Although... Because Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward were married, they had such good chemistry in this movie that I still felt like there was a lot of spark yeah. in that relationship. So Marlon Brando's uh, Baker films co-produced this movie, and Brando was originally supposed to play the Rand character, oh. which totally makes sense to me. Yes. And in a way, 
I think like his bad boy image fits that character a little bit more. And Marilyn Monroe was considered to play the Woodward role, but she lost interest, which I don't know if I would have liked her as much in that. I feel like it would have been an entirely different movie if the two yeah. of them were in it instead. I don't know if I would have bought her as like small town, single mom. Yeah, divorce, divorcee. <laughs> yeah. With. Uh, so Duke Ellington won, or yeah, he won the Academy Award nomination for Best Music Scoring a Musical Picture, even though this actually isn't a musical. Yeah. But it's the same problem the Academy Awards have now that like some things don't fit neatly yeah. into the categories, and you're like, what? Why is this in this category? Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward were married, and they made a lot of movies together. Yes. <laughs> and it was during the filming of this movie that Woodward became pregnant with their daughter, Melissa. And she was born the day the film opened in the U.S. Oh, my God. That's a good piece of trivia. Yeah. Also, Poitier and Carol began their affair during this yes. production. A years-long affair. And, yes, it lasted uh, a long time before Poitier ended it because he was not going to leave his wife. Which is interesting because when I was researching his bio, people didn't talk a lot about his personal life. Yeah. I think it probably because he's considered this institution yeah like he's very much on a pedestal in the acting world so that's all i got for trivia but i can tell you about sydney Poitier. i was gonna say tell us more about sydney Poitier. <laughs> uh he was born in 1927 in miami florida and he grew up in a small village of cat island in the bahamas oh uh, his father was a poor tomato farmer and he moved the family to the capital nassau when Poitier was 11 and that's where he was first exposed to movies. And he really fell in love with them. At the age of 16, he moved to New York and got a job as a dishwasher. And soon after, he started working as a janitor for the American Negro Theater in exchange for acting lessons. Oh. Which I think is such a cool story and not the kind of thing you hear about anymore. Yeah, it's like impossible. You <laughs> um, while working at the American Negro Theater, he got the role of understudy... Um, for Harry Belafonte in the play Days of Our Youth. And when he filled in for him one night, he made his stage debut. And that led to a small role in the Greek comedy Lysistrata. Oh. And he was a huge hit in that. And then he continued to do stage performances into the 1950s. Uh, then he went to Hollywood and made his screen debut in No Way Out which is a violent tale of racial hatred um, and kind of sets the tone for a lot of movies that he does having like socially conscious themes. Uh, the film made him a hero back in the Bahamas and the colonial government said it was too explosive and censored it. Oh and then gosh. the protests that resulted actually gave birth to the political party that eventually overturned British rule. So, oh like, <laughs> indirectly, Sidney Poitier got freedom for the Bahamas. Fueled a revolution. Um, which I think is just <laughs> incredible. Throughout the 50s, he made a ton of important and controversial movies, most of them addressing racial equality, um, including Cry the Beloved Country about apartheid in South Africa, oh, yeah. Blackboard Jungle, and The Defiant Ones. So some of them were about racial inequality abroad and some in the United States. 
for his role in The Defiant Ones. He was nominated for an Academy Award. And then in 1959, he went back to the stage to star as Walter Lee in A Raisin in the Sun, the first um, play by a black pay- playwright to show on Broadway, which I didn't know that he originated that role. I think I didn't Broadway. know that either. Have you read that play? Yes, and I've seen it. It's so kind of hard to watch. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Still relevant, yeah. shall we say. So he reprised his role for the Hollywood adaptation in 1961, so a lot of people saw him do that performance. And in 1963, he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for Lilies of the Field, which I was like, that movie sounds familiar. I feel like I've seen it. And then when I looked it up, it's about, like, nuns <laughs> trying to build a church in the desert. Sure. And then, like, handy, Sidney Poitier plays the handyman who comes through, and they're like, oh, God sent you to help build this church. So it's a little bit different from, like, his other movies. And it, I think it's interesting that he won for that. And Yeah not for the more political stuff. Soon after that, he turned his attentions to one of the greatest taboos of the time, interracial romance in Patch of Blue and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And Patch of Blue was the first movie I saw him in, and that's where a white blind girl meets him and falls for him, not realizing that he's black or like understanding the race conflict. And Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was the first Hollywood movie about interracial romance that did not end tragically. Oh. So, and then by the time of the 60s, he was one of Hollywood's most popular stars. He kind of went out of favor as the political tide turned after Martin Luther King and Malcolm X were both assassinated because the black community started to feel that he was too passive. Mm, mm-hmm. um, so he retreated to the Bahamas to reassess, and he reemerged, shifting his focus to directing instead of acting, and he made a number of really successful films. And in 1988, he went back to acting to play Nelson Mandela in Shoot to Kill, and this was like 50 years after his first apartheid film, oh. so it was very coming full circle. Uh, He continued to focus on humanitarian themes in his work and personal life, and although he reduced the frequency of his roles in recent years, he remains one of the most respected and beloved figures in American cinema of the 20th century. That's him, and he's great. (laughs) (laughs) He is great. I feel like we should do more of his movies. We can alternate between Cary Grant and (laughs) just for a little variety. Um, can you tell me about my new boyfriend, Paul Newman? I can. I can give you some backstory about him. He was born in 1925 in the Midwest, in Shaker Heights, Ohio, um, the son of immigrants from Hungary and Poland. His father ran a, a sporting goods store, and which sort of foreshadows his interest in racing, I think, later. His first role in the theater was at the age of seven, playing a court jester in a school production of Robin Hood. Mm-hmm. Um, he went on to play um, a number of roles in like children's theater programs in Cleveland. He briefly attended Ohio University and then um, served in the Navy during World War II in the Pacific Theater, where he was sent to Hawaii, where he was responsible for training uh, replacement combat pilots, people landing on carriers. Aircraft carriers. Aircraft carriers, yeah. He flew a turret gunner and served as a radio man and, and gunner in the war. 
afterwards, he got a Bachelor of Arts at Kenyon College in Ohio, and then served in a number, worked in a number of summer stock companies in Wisconsin and Illinois, so he is my best friend. He <laughs> worked around the Midwest, and then went to the Yale School of Drama for one year, and then moved to New York City um, to study under Lee Strasberg at the Actors Studio. He got to New York in 1951 with his first wife, not Joanne Woodward, and made his um, Broadway debut in 1953 in a production, in the first production of Picnic. He was in the, a few years later, he was in the original Broadway production of The Desperate Hours, and in the original Broadway production of Sweet Bird of Youth with Geraldine Page. In February 1954, he appeared in a screen test with James Dean, um, which was sort of the first in a series of connections between him and James Dean. He eventually filled in in a couple of roles um, in the movies, um, The Left-Handed Gun and uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me, which were originally slated for James Dean, but they were filmed after he died. I could see that because they're both very pretty, although Mm -hmm. like slightly different vibes. Yeah. That the the movie that he screen tested for with James Dean, he was supposed to play James Dean's fraternal twin brother. Oh. Which perfect. Totally makes sense. Yes. His first film though um, was the movie The Silver Chalice in 1954. The box office hated it. He hated it. No one loved that movie. <laughs> 1958 he um, started in the movie A Cat A Cat on the Hot Tin Roof with um, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor. That um, got him his first Academy Award nomination. He went on to um, appear in a number of films over the next several decades, including Cool Hand Luke, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, several movies with his uh, wife, um, Joanne Woodward, including um, his last major uh, appearance, which was the HBO miniseries Empire Falls, in which they both appear but never appear in scenes together, which is sort of fun. His last movie appearance um, was in the movie uh, Road to Perdition opposite um, Tom Hanks, Um, and he also appeared in uh, 2016, or 2006, sorry, he lent his voice to the um, car movie Cars, which (laughs) demonstrates his his strong interest in car racing. Even animated car racing. That's right. He was the voice of Doc Hudson, which is a retired anthropomorphic race car and he his voice did not appear in um cars 2 but his voice did appear in cars 3 which came out nine years after his death animation he is in addition to his acting roles um and his car interest in car racing he and his wife are both famous for their philanthropic work um, including newman's own of this line of food products that he founded in 1982. As of 2014, Newman's Own had donated more than $400 million to charity, including to Hole in the Wall, the Hole in the Wall Gang Camp, which was a residential summer camp for seriously ill children in Connecticut, which is where he and um, Joanne Woodward lived. So it's just one of many things that he did, including in 1999, he uh, donated $250,000 to Catholic Relief Services to aid refugees in Kosovo. He was a very politically active Catholic Democrat. (laughs) I like him even more. I know. (laughs) He is a wonderful man. He was placed 19th on Richard Nixon's enemies list, um, which (laughs) he claimed was his greatest accomplishment. And he supported um, Hubert Humphrey in the 1960 general election and was an early and vocal supporter of gay rights so I love him he was amazing 
I have not learned anything that makes me love him any less. Um, he attended the March on Washington in um, 1963 and attended the first Earth Day event in Manhattan in 1970. He is amazing. We love him. In addition to all that, he and his so he and his wife were uh, Joanne Woodward were married for 50 years. They had three children together. He had had three children with um, his first wife, including a son who died of a drug overdose, and so drug and alcohol abuse were sort of important issues to to him throughout his life. They lived in Connecticut, like I said, and they were one of the first Hollywood movie star couples to choose to raise their family outside of outside of California, which was unusual at the time. Uh, he was scheduled to make his professional stage directing debut in Westport, Connecticut in 2008, directing a production of uh, John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, but he got sick and it was widely reported that he had lung cancer, um, although that was not confirmed, and he later died in, in September of 2008. It's one of the good ones. It's interesting because he was good friends with Robert Redford, Yeah, and they did a lot of movies together, and my dad is a huge Robert Redford fan, so I always just ignored Paul Newman. Because yeah. I just felt like, well, it's Robert Redford or nothing. Okay. Um, so now Turns out. It seems like really Paul and I have a better connection. Yeah. Your dad can keep Robert Redford. <laughs> exactly. Although it, it also makes sense that they're friends because they both are so politically active. Sexy. And, I mean. <laughs> and also politically active. Yes. <laughs> good men who look good. I mean, we could have done bios for so many different people in yeah. this movie because there were a lot of strong actors. There were. I did not know that Joanne Woodward was in this movie until I started um, watching it, and I hold you accountable for that. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't it a pleasant surprise? It was. Yes, it was a very pleasant I'm sure we'll do other movies with her, too, and yeah. hopefully can do a, a thorough bio of her. Have you seen All About Eve? Yes. No, wait, All About Eve? No, Three Faces of Eve. No, I have not seen Three Faces of Eve. We should see Three Faces of Eve. Yeah, I was going to say, she's too young to be in All About Eve. The other Eve movie. Okay. (laughs) That would be a good one to do. Yeah. Well, so what did you think of the movie? I was glad that we watched it after we had seen An American in Paris, because I think in some ways it was similar to, I mean, I said this earlier, that it was similar in some ways to An American in Paris, but it was better as a movie, I think. It had a plot that made some sense. Right, and even though it was a very quiet plot in some sense, um, it was, like, it. yeah, it made sense. There was a narrative arc that you could say, like, point A to point B, right. like, this is what happened. Yes, <laughs> so. and at the end, everything was wrapped up. <laughs> I had questions, though. So, in the end, Ram says, I'm not going with right. you, Lillian, back to the States. You know, I'm going to stick with my music. And then Eddie, theoretically, is supposed to be going. Right. But I thought the door was sort of left open that he might, might not, not go. go. Right. Because he like, says, I'm going in a couple of weeks. And the way that the... Ending shots were done with them walking off together. Yeah, um, Ram and Eddie. It just it didn't feel to me like he was gonna go. Yeah, I mean, I think it seemed more realistic that he would say like, "Okay, you're going now, Connie, and I'll I need to like 
wrap up some things and I'll come in a couple of weeks. To me, that seemed like reasonable and like realistic because if he's lived in France for five years, he can't just be like, okay, I'm leaving. <laughs> Unlike Ram. Yeah, he's like, I'm leaving. But the crazy thing was that they, the vacation of Connie and Lillian was two weeks and they left early. Yeah. So they've known these ladies for, for 12 days. Yeah. yeah. Maximum. Yeah. And, and then they're leaving like a day early or yeah. something. So it could have been less than that. And I was thinking, no, I wouldn't leave whatever country I was working in for someone I knew for a week. Yeah. It makes no sense. They like basically had no time to forge a real relationship. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... Especially when all we see of their relationship is them all want, just wandering around Paris. Yeah, sort of clutching each other. Yeah. And sleeping together and... Eating French onion soup. I also felt bad for Connie and Lillian. This is a really big trip for you, and you guys are missing out on Paris because you're you're just hanging out with these expats. Yeah, although there was that like very poignant line at the end of the movie where Connie said, "Lillian, remember all the places we could have gone. We should have we should have gone there." Which I guess don't tie yourself down to men. Just yeah. go visit the Eiffel Tower. And especially Connie really didn't seem very interested in getting involved with anyone while she was there. She yeah. really wanted to do Paris. I thought it was interesting that Ram really like went after Connie. Connie rejected him. Yeah. And then Lillian was kind of like, well, I don't care that you really like my friend better. I'm just going to yeah. you know, pursue you. Which in some ways is it's was nice. I thought it was in her role was I thought the most interesting in this yeah. movie. Yeah. I would have loved to hear more about her backstory and I think there's that brief message mention of her husband and you know, talking about them getting divorced and she says he's kind and nice and Yeah, and it wasn't Ram, bad. No. I'm like, why did you get divorced? <laughs> I don't know. And I thought it was very unbelievable that she would be like, Ram, we should be together. Like, come with me to my small town in the U.S. With my two kids. Yeah, he's never met her kids. Like, is it supposed to be implied that they would get married? Or he would just move back? And Yeah. That was very ill-conceived. We don't even know where they live in the U.S., right? We don't know whether even Connie and Lillian actually, like, live in the same town, right? We don't know if they live in the north or in the south, in the city or in a, like... I assumed it was the north because they were such good friends and they were traveling together, but, like, I thought maybe they were both teachers or something, because Connie does say that she teaches. Oh, she teaches, yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. That part was not developed. Um, We have a lot of questions. Yeah, so we do have questions. Ram was a total asshole pretty much the whole movie, and I couldn't... Beyond just the, like this is a talented person and I'm drawn to them, I didn't really understand what Lillian yeah. liked about him. Like, Eddie was pretty nice. Yeah, and he was he was nice and he was, like, he was a fairly good friend to Ram and he was, you know... Although there's that point at, towards the end of the movie where he said that he would belt Connie, in which case, like, that seems... Mm, yeah. Less nice. Questionable. Maybe just <laughs> part of the time, I... Horribly. Uh, I thought that I could see their romance a little bit more, yeah. Eddie and Connie, than Ram and Lillian, just based on the facts. Yeah. Um, even though the chemistry was great between Ram and Lillian. 
It helps when you're married in it real does, life. I guess. <laughs> I guess when you have an awesome marriage the last 50 years, yeah. when you do humanitarian work. <laughs> what did you think about the subplot about the drug addiction with Gypsy? I mean, I guess that is a... It's an opportunity. It was an opportunity to show that Ram isn't a total jerk. Yeah. Because he does like obviously care about Gypsy and wants him to see that he has a problem and wants him to get help, and doesn't want him to keep doing drugs. But yeah, I mean, I did think that was one of the more humanizing mm-hmm. parts of his character. Paul Newman greatness aside, I had a very strong reaction to Ram because I dated a lot of musicians when I was younger, oh. and I was just like. You know Uh, this man. Yeah, I know this guy, and all he cares about is his own success, (laughs) and he's just monomaniacal. But didn't you think he was incredibly insecure? Yes. Well, and when he, like, goes and meets with that producer, whoever that guy is, the record producer, and he's, you know, who's... I felt like the record producer was being very kind and honest and saying, like, this is great, but you need to, like, learn how to do this. Yeah. Like, you're a good musician, but you're not a good composer yet, and you just need to work at it. It's good advice from someone who knows what they're talking about. It doesn't even mean you're bad. It just means that you need to practice and do better. Yeah, and and he basically said you should, you know, go back to, you know, what writers would call craft and, like, basically learn how to compose. Like, go back to educating yourself about this stuff before you try to make the next big thing and Ram's response is like oh well you're just saying that I'm a terrible artist yeah and and you cannot make it as any kind of artist if one person's opinion is enough to set just be like all right I'm done I suck yeah like you have to have some confidence and belief in yourself yeah and he was just going to this guy saying am I any good like nothing good is going to come out of that conversation either they're going to say no you're not and you're going to be devastated or they'll say Yes, and it's going to inflate your ego, but it doesn't mean anything. I was like, you need to take some, like, workshops or something so you can learn how to take criticism. Yeah. White male fragility. Yeah. And even with um, Eddie, he was... Eddie tried to say, like, oh, I think your piece is pretty good. Yeah. But he was like, but it's not great, right? Like, he was just so needy. Yeah, and Eddie's like, like, why did you share it with me if you don't want to, like, actually hear my opinion about it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I would have had little patience for that yeah. crap. Yeah. And Lillian was very much just willing to, like, sacrifice herself for supporting his... She was like, I can take care of you, and then you'll be able to make more great art. And I was like, don't you have other things in yeah. your life? You have two children, and you obviously have a job to support yourself, and... Yeah, it's just... What about your wants, Lillian? I did... I liked how direct she was with being open about her feelings and about what she wanted. Yeah. Like, in their relationship. Which I... And I don't know. She seemed like a very modern woman. Yeah. This is, like... Especially since we watched so many movies from the 30s and yeah. 40s. This was much, like... I'm laying it out on the table. I might get hurt, but this is what I want. Where are you with all of this? Yeah. She was very modern mature Mm -hmm. well and Connie was like that too to say like that she didn't like that Eddie had run away from the U.S. and that like you know her opinion was that in in order to fix the problems you have to stay and and work on them yeah I thought that was very interesting that debate yeah in this movie and I could understand both sides of 
what they were saying. Yeah. Because I used to be, like, you know, more obnoxious than I am now and really get in people's faces about, like, you need to be part of fixing this problem. (laughs) Like, you can't just get yourself out. You need to be there. You know, which goes over great with people. Yeah. And, but I could understand how Eddie would just, like, he talked about, like, in Paris, I can just be a person. Yeah, I'm not a black musician. I'm just a musician. And that, I feel like it would be hard to give that up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you agree with one over the other? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I I guess I just appreciated that that like sort of conversation was was in a movie. It seems like a very rare thing to see. Sort of a that seems like a very real conflict that yeah people would have to deal with, and it isn't sugarcoated in any way in this movie. And I don't know. It's very like humanizing. I agree. Yeah, they were talking about real ideas in this movie (laughs) instead of it just being all surface level stuff. Um, Some of the love scenes were really ridiculous, though, where they're just like, no, I'm in love. I've never felt this way. Just embracing in the street. It's fine. Did you like the sort of beatnik culture that was depicted in the jazz clubs? Yeah, the, we're going to stay up all night and listen to jazz and sit here and listen to it and dance and... They're, like, doing the Lindy Hop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It looked, like, fun, but they also kind of looked... They looked how I feel whenever I go to a jazz club, <laughs> which is, like, try really hard to look like you get it. Right. And you know what's happening. Look at... I was curious about whether or not they were actually really playing the instruments, especially mm-hmm. in that, like, jam session where, like, Louis Armstrong... Louis Armstrong is like he really is playing his instrument whether he's like wasn't he great oh my gosh I read that I think they they did learn to play the instruments for the movie they were coached but in the soundtrack recordings they had professionals to it because you could tell that they were really playing yeah in in some of the parts yeah which I guess is an integral part of that character so you would need to to learn how to how to play it was interesting how the jazz musicians were like the Beatles of this movie. Yeah. Like, people were mobbing them at the train station. I know. I was like, well, wow. but if Louis Armstrong, like, showed up at the at 30th Street station, I would say, yes, please, let's go. Well, and do you think he would have been mobbed in the U.S.? Or do you think it was, no. like, a Paris thing? It must be a Paris thing, right? I mean, because that was a thing with Josephine Baker and... Yeah, it was it was cool to see because this came out around the same time as like you know the boy band pop rock groups were getting more popular and it's an interesting parallel. Yeah. Oh, beautiful girl, what a gorgeous creature! Beautiful girl, let me call a preacher. What can I do but give my heart to you? Uh, well, should we talk about the costumes? I was just going to say, do you want to talk about the costumes? Um, yeah, this movie makes me want a trench coat. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it. The, the men looked very good in those trench I mean, there are a lot of good-looking people in this movie. Yeah. Um, I liked the men's trench coats. I liked the ladies' sort of swing coats, the mod yeah. looks. Um, I thought Lillian's lingerie was, like, super sexy. Yes. That, like, that black piece that was just, like... How'd you even get in that? I I feel like that is a piece that once it is on, it just stays on for months at a time. (laughs) I mean, beyond those pieces, I didn't notice the clothes a lot. Yeah. Which is maybe part of, I mean, the point of this movie is not to pay attention to the clothes. It's the ideas that are important. Yeah. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. 
We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's. What about the social justice themes? I think I wrote myself a note that said that this movie had the most social justice elements to it of all the movies that we have seen. I, I think. agree. Like it was the most overtly social justice in our, in all the movies. I would say so. I mean, I was trying to think of which other ones might qualify, and I thought, you know, Little Women had some, yeah. but this was just much more. It almost felt like veering into advocacy mm-hmm. in some ways. Yeah, it was a very overt message in mm-hmm. the movie. It was also, I think, the um, the movie that had the most people of color in it mm-hmm. of any of the movies that we've seen so far. Yeah, developed characters yeah. who are people of color. Did you read anything about how this movie was received? No. Because I was curious about that. We should look that up later. I mean, it had, I think there were, there was a, the soundtrack to this movie was a thing in its own right, that yeah. there was the movie, but then there was also the, I mean, you mentioned Duke Ellington and a whole other piece of it. Yeah. It made me want to get the soundtrack. I really liked the music in Paris Blues. <laughs> This is the kind of jazz I like. Like, if it gets too experimental, you lose me. But, like, this is kind of my wheelhouse. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. So we had the good social justice themes, but did you think that it passed the Bechdel test? Maybe, technically. But I feel like every time we saw any conversation of substance between the two women... it was really about the men. Yeah. And, I mean, there may have been, like, short, like, exchanges that were, like, about the plane ticket, but that was really yeah. because of the men, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. It was it was good in some ways because the, pe- the women were, like, developed, I thought, more than in some other movies with the mm-hmm. female romantic interests, but they still never talk about anything except the relationships. Yeah. And the men. And there was that, the third character. Oh, yeah, the French woman who may or may not have been Ram's girlfriend. Yeah, I think her name was Marie, maybe? Maybe, I don't yeah. Know. She, I mean, she doesn't seem to interact much with Mm-mm. other women in this movie. Mm-mm. But she was a musician herself, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, I actually thought her argument to Ram was correct. Yes. <laughs> that, like, if you're really going to be a hardcore musician, you can't, like, you are not going to be able to be in a serious relationship. Yeah. And, like, you just need to know that about yourself. Yeah. But he did not receive it well. No. Surprising. <laughs> Surprisingly, he did not. I love the little French bits in this movie. The, like, you could see in the background the uh, Crédit Lyonnais, which is a French bank, bank that still exists. Oh. And SNCF is the, like, the French railroad system and there were some like references to that which I loved and there's that beautiful at the end of the movie the shot um of Paul Newman um and behind it is him is the billboard with um Louis Armstrong being um pasted over with um an ad for La Russe which is the like French dictionary um which is um I just loved those little like French pieces you picked up on them way more than I did, <laughs> having never been to Paris. But I did think it was filmed beautifully, and like the city was like another character. Mm-hmm. Made me want to go there, hang out at a jazz club. Yeah, podcasting on location in Paris. <laughs> so, what rating would you give this? I may give it a three, just because it moved a little more slowly. Excuse me, than I would have liked. 
with a plot that is this quiet, and I would have liked more, like, substantive conversations between the women. I would give it a three also. It had rewatchability mm-hmm. more for the music, I mm-hmm. thought, than the plot. Yeah. I mean, I would watch it again, too, just for the performances of the actors, too, mm-hmm. because they were, all four of the main actors were so, like, pleasing to watch. Yeah. But, they were all great. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was, despite, like, not that much happening and it being sort of slow, I still enjoyed watching Mm -hmm. it a lot. Yeah. Well, what is our next movie, Hillary? Angel and the Bad Man. A foray into Western? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this movie passed the Bechdel test. (laughs) (laughs) Wait with faded breath. (laughs) May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.